informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, and thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day as we kick off another week, and we all deal with the the new reality of the times, and, and the new normal is anything but normal to most of us, as we're all now dealing with social distancing in different ways, and it uh, seems like every day something else is closed that we're used to uh, going to or participating in, so we're all trying to get used to this, and trying to be very, very careful as well, and we urge all of you to please be careful. Hope you all are safe as we uh, get together here to start off the week. We're going to talk about uh, the economic impact of the uh, coronavirus as we're seeing a shutdown of so many parts of our economy. Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton, will be joining us. We'll talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. There's some line of thinking that uh, this virus situation would get better as the weather warms up others aren't so sure but uh, we'll find out what's in store for us the next week or so with uh, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson but let's start things off with Sarah Wyant editor and president of AgriPulse Communications Sarah thank you for joining us as I said we're all trying to figure out how social distancing now works but we do know a lot of the things that we're used to having going on or being able to go to those things are closed down now i don't think we've ever seen anything quite like this well good morning mike i cannot remember anything in my lifetime similar to this i do remember the really terrible feeling after 9-11 where we all kind of sheltered at home Mm -hmm. but for entirely different reasons because of the terrorist threats that were still uncertain for a few days after the attack but now we're not certain who we can get close to other than obviously family members and uh, there's a, a whole new set of guidelines including as you mentioned uh, several states, California, where I am today, has suggested that all bars need to close down. Restaurants can only be open if the people can be seated at least six feet apart and capacity reduced. Also, Illinois, Ohio. Uh, but I would recommend to all your listeners, I go to the cdc.gov website every morning now because our staff in Washington, D.C. has also been highly encouraged to telework, and they are... Uh, trying to, you know, put this in perspective. And on that map, if you click on the COVID-19, you can see all the cases in the U.S. So, for example, there's only one to five reported in D.C. right now or South Dakota in your station. There's been eight reported. Uh, there's going to be more as we do more testing. We know there is. Uh, we don't know how many of those are going to be extremely serious and that are, you know, with people with underlying conditions. We don't know how many are infecting younger people who might be really in great shape and, you know, after a couple of weeks will rebound quite well. So a lot of uncertainty. And I think during this time, not only at the federal level, but at the state level, people are making decisions out of this overabundance of of caution uh, to try to keep that curve that we've heard so much about from getting as high as it could possibly be and, and trying to make sure that, you know, we are doing as much as possible to protect all the citizens. Yeah, trying to flatten that curve, as uh, the experts are telling us. Um, I think you're reporting uh, at AgriPulse that there is a confirmed case for a USDA employee. Is that right? 
That is correct. People can go to agripulse.com and read more about this in uh, literally about three minutes. Um, so I've been up early this morning talking to our staff. It's on the one floor of the South Building in USDA, and uh, Deputy Secretary Sensky sent out an email to employees uh, telling them that an individual had tested positive. That individual is now no longer uh, obviously working in the building, and all the employees who are in that vicinity are also encouraged to telework. And uh, so we'll we'll have more, including some photos of what they're doing. They're uh, cleaning that whole floor area right now. And so that's just breaking news as of this morning, Mike. Well, we continue to watch that and watch what Congress does. Uh, the Senate's taking up uh, the the bill, kind of taking over from what the House passed late over the weekend and seeing what the Senate's going to do. There's some thought that the, the Senate may not be on board with everything in that House bill, so they're, we have to wait and see what they're going to come up with. Absolutely. And I, I just want to add one more thing to the USDA story. The systems for teleworking have been being tested by the department for the last, I don't know how how long, but I know as of last week, they were really working to get employees to test whether or not all the different uh, uh, strain on the system could be withstood with a lot of people teleworking. And it seems to be working, it seems to be testing very well. So I don't think there's going to be a disruption in service at USDA. It's just that it's going to be a, a far different place at least for the foreseeable future. Back to your congressional um, comment. Yes, we saw the House quickly pass uh, the next round of, of actions that can help keep people fed and to keep small businesses afloat during this very difficult time. There does need to be a technical correction made that I think can be done quickly through unanimous consent, and it will go to the Senate. And all expectations are that it will be passed quickly and, again, moved to the White House. Uh, this isn't the end of what you're going to see as stimulus actions and actions to reach out and help people during this uh, very uncertain time. But certainly we had a very big boost with $8 billion sent out over the week before, and then now this legislative package is moving. So I think Congress is, is really trying to work in a bipartisan manner to see what they can do until we get a better hold of how long and, and how big this uh, pandemic is going to impact the U.S. And, of course, we know about, the, as you mentioned, many restaurants, bars closing down. We we know about the shortages at some stores. Uh, it really impacting the supply chain. I know the president has made some announcements on working with retailers and some of the big companies. So that's an ongoing effort. But that's a big part of this, uh, getting supplies out to people. It certainly is. And, you know, we have just an incredible supply system in the U.S., but when people start hoarding and buying, you know, five, six times more than what they need, especially toilet paper, of all things, has just been off the shelves in every store I've been to. But think of all the canned goods we have. Think of all the frozen goods that we have. Think of the ability for people to really have things in their home without the need to go out, as in many other countries, they don't have that opportunity. So we are really blessed to have this great supply chain in the U.S. And I think, Mike, it's going to make people be, hopefully, a little bit more thankful for the food that they are able to get in the U.S. It's safe, it's abundant, and it will be restocked in these grocery stores 
and, and it'll be better if, as the president said, and all the grocery executives he met with yesterday, if people will just calm down a little bit and not buy like they're stocking up for mm-hmm. the next five months. Uh, if they just buy what they need for the next week or so, I think these buy disruptions will be minimized. Very good. Sarah, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Take care. You too, Mike. Thank you. Sarah Wyatt, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. So let's uh, talk about the economic impact of all this. John Newton, chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, will join us next right here on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia herbicide is a U.S. EPA-restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, so so many different layers to this coronavirus outbreak. Uh, obviously, number one is uh, is health concerns and, and taking care of everybody is trying to keep everybody healthy and protected. But uh, another part of it is obviously the economic impact and this is going to be felt for some time let's talk now with john newton chief economist for the american farm bureau federation john thanks for joining us um the steps taken by the fed cutting interest rates uh, over the weekend that announcement did not stop the stock market from uh, dropping dramatically again today kind of running out of things that the fed can do right well i think we saw you know two weeks ago the fed cut rates uh, in advance of this, and, and we knew at that point that, that we did not have much of a shock absorber left, and so to see the Fed cut rates again uh, last night, really in advance of the, the markets opening in Asia, uh, was pretty telling, and then the market is uh, down again. The market was up, limited up, uh, after the president's press conference uh, to, to see the administration's response to this, uh, but it is down again today, and, and, and I think uh, cooler heads will ultimately prevail here, Mike, but but this is unlike anything that we've seen uh, in quite some time. Now the talk is about recession. Are we headed into a recession? And only time will tell. There's a lot of hope there's, there's going to be a big rebound later in the year from this pent-up demand. We hear about that. But recession is certainly a possibility now. Well, we've entered bear market territory, and, and I think the market's going to continue to to move lower, you know, here in the United States, I think we're we're in about a seven to ten day window here, uh, where if you monitor the, the trends that happened in, in Italy and in Europe on uh, the the daily deltas on, on the curve here in, in terms of new cases, uh, we're in about a seven to ten day zone. I think that's why the efforts to try to flatten the curve are so important. And I think once we start to see the peak, uh, once we know that we're past the peak and things are going to get better, you could see a rebound. You should see a rebound, Mike. And I think that's what we saw. Uh, in the Chinese markets, you know, they're starting to get back to uh, employment. Their ports are back open again. Uh, but they took their medicine for about a month. We're taking our medicine now. Hopefully things will, will turn around pretty quickly uh, once once everything recovers. 
We're talking with John Newton, chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, how do you see the commodity markets, the ag markets, responding and reacting to this? Well, there's a, a couple of different ways. And I think the first thing, you know, first and foremost, we've seen you know, press releases from uh, the dairy sector, the beef sector, and the pork producers all you know, working to make sure that their supply chains remain intact, that consumers have access uh, to food. Yesterday, the president had a call with, with CEOs of the grocery companies uh, to make sure that the, all the steps are taken to make sure that consumers have access uh, to adequate food supplies during this uh, quarantine period. Uh, but but you think about what could be the potential impact if, if say, a large uh, packing plant goes down due to labor constraints, or a dairy processor goes down due to labor challenges if folks get sick. Uh, and it, it could create some, some ripple effects in the farm economy in terms of the prices that, that farmers may receive for their products. Uh, there's a lot of different moving pieces in the supply chain, Mike, so I think it's important uh, that, that all efforts are taken to, to protect the health of those workers so that our supply chain remains open. And I think the administration is trying to do that. Hard to make predictions, John, because we've never dealt with something quite like this before. I think that, that you know, this will be a, a case study uh, for some time after the fact. I think supply chains uh, will be studying how to make sure that we're prepared uh, in the event of something like this happening uh, in the future. And as the president said Friday, uh, these type of viruses, these type of outbreaks will happen again. It's about how we respond and how we're prepared uh, to, to deal with that. And so I think we'll be studying the supply chains. We'll be studying the food supply chains, agricultural markets for some time uh, after uh, we get all the information on what exactly is happening. Because when you have a consumer-driven economy and you basically shut down the things people go to and tell people to stay home, wow, that that has quite a ripple effect throughout the economy. Almost everything, everyone's uh, impacted by that. Well, we are, you know, the U.S. is a service-based economy. We're based on these touch points, uh, going to restaurants, going to bars, going to sporting events, and, and just about all of those have been shut down. Here in Washington, D.C., they're advising people uh, not to go to any bars or restaurants. Restaurants are moving to only uh, delivery service. Uh, so you are going to see a ripple effect. And, and, you know, we met with our board of directors last week, and one of the points I made to them was, more than 50% of the, the beef in the United States is consumed at restaurants. And if we uh, eliminate uh, or dramatically reduce uh, the number of people that are, are using restaurant services, now they can still order uh, delivery from these restaurants, but, but it is going to have an impact both domestically and I think when we look at the phase one, I think we're, we're gonna, it's going to be a tall order to get to the $40 billion in export sales that, 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 that China's committed to buy. Uh, given the logistical problems that we're likely to have for some time as we uh, dig ourselves out of this hole. We've seen their economy contract dramatically. Obviously, they're in a whole different situation than like about everyone else is since that phase one deal was signed. Yeah, I mean, I think first quarter GDP uh, around the world, Mike, is going to have quite the hiccup, whether it's the Chinese economy, the U.S. economy, the European economies, uh, and, and this does have quite a long tail. I mean, China first confirmed the case January 14th. Uh, we're, we're right in the middle of March. So that's 60 days ago uh, that it's taken them to kind of roll through this. They're now in a, in a point where the number of new confirmed cases in China, if you believe the numbers coming out of China, about 10, 10 new cases a day. Uh, here in the United States, we're uh, right at the beginning of, of the upswing on our curve. But I think the efforts to try to flatten that curve and what that means is 
extend the num extend the length of this, but uh, reduce the number of new cases per day, so that we don't end up uh, putting our hospitals and emergency rooms in an overcapacity state. Uh, that's what we're trying to do, and I think we're going to continue to monitor that. As soon as the markets might see some sign of success of this effort, I think it's going to turn around and rebound pretty quickly because people will be more optimistic about uh, end-of-the-year business performance, the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, uh, seeing how these things turn around. That'll be interesting to see, uh, John. I mean, there's obviously going to be some pent-up demand. There's going to be this uh you know, anxiousness for everybody to get back out and and try to get back to normal. But what will normal be? Does this change uh, significantly some habits or practices that we've become accustomed to? What do you think? You know, it's hard to tell. We're all creatures of habit. Uh, You know, a a quarantine of of 30 days, you know, nationwide, 60 days in in some cases could change some things. I think supply chains are going to learn. They're going to adjust. Uh, they're going to build in uh, some some cushions around uh, to make sure that if this kind of thing happens again, we can resume business uh, as much as normal. Uh, you know, I certainly am going to get back to uh, get back to the office as soon as I can. The Farm Bureau office, we're uh, we're teleworking for you know till the end of the month. Uh, I'll I'll get back to work. Everybody will get back to work and doing what we do for American agriculture. That's for sure. Yeah, it it'll be interesting. We'd already seen a move towards home delivery of food i wonder if that grows even more now because of this in in urban areas mike that's that's certainly something that we've seen food deliveries all of those services have have really taken off but you know the hiccup and and we've we've known this we've talked about it in agriculture for some time uh, is in rural america you know this is going to test our broadband capacity in rural america uh, the ability to telework, the ability for schools to to offer uh, distance learning is much more challenging in rural America because of the broadband deficiency. So I think, if anything, that's one thing we're certainly going to learn and see in rural America. Yeah, and the other thing I think it will be addressed, don't you, is uh, our dependence on China or anybody else for our medicines and, 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 and so much of this that has been moved out of this country as far as production, bringing it back. Yeah, the uh, precious metals have been offshored to China, uh, medicine ingredients, and, you know, so uh, sure, this could work to uh, diversify or bring back some of our supply chains so that we're not uh, at risk uh, in, in another outbreak of, of this magnitude. But, you know, the, the, the reality is that we're a, a global market, we've got global supply chains, and so uh, I think that that in some way contributed to how quickly this thing spread was because we do have global supply chains. We think about, you know, farmers and ranchers doing trade missions. There were people that were likely in China and exposed to this uh, in January that, that came back to the United States and didn't even know that, that they were uh, susceptible. So I think it, it does it is going to need to reevaluate our supply chains moving forward. Kind of makes us take a look again at everything, so we'll see what it's like. But first, we've got to get through it. John, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Stay safe. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, up next, we'll talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. It's hard to you know kind of focus on anything other than coronavirus, but we do have other things going on. Planting time not that far away checking conditions around the country. We'll talk with Bryce about that next. Stay with us on AOA.
Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we usually kick off the week uh, talking weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, as we do so this week, it's, uh, it's just a different world in which we now live in. It is unique. There's no doubt about it, Mike. Um, I haven't seen anything like this. I don't think you have. I don't think anybody has uh, in this generation anyway. And uh, from from here, it's uh, it's all going to be a, a new event every day as we get through uh, managing this whole virus. Um, I, I do want to mention um, my I have, one of my daughters taught uh, college in Wuhan, China, for about a year, 10 years ago, so a long time ago now. Anyway, still has acquaintances in Wuhan, and um, several of her friends have uh, families who are still there, and uh, one acquaintance of my daughter uh, said that her parents have been uh, in a three-room apartment for, I believe, two months now and have not left the apartment. So, you know, that's the, that's the sort of uh, illustration of the extremes that have been uh, put into effect in order to try to handle this uh, coronavirus and deal with it. But I thought that was uh, quite stark, you know, to hear that. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I was thinking about this uh, today uh, with this social distancing that's going on and with more and more things closed and like, the state I'm in, Illinois, and a lot of other places, closing restaurants and places you would still be able to go to. I mean, if even if you wanted to get out, or there are fewer and fewer places you could go anyway. So we're kind of all, you know, going to have some cabin fever here. Uh, it's one thing now; it'd be another thing, uh, you know, a little a few weeks from now when the weather is going to be getting better and people wanting to get out and do things. Uh, so. Uh, you know, weather's a big part of this. There are some who think warmer weather may help with this uh, virus. Others say that we don't know yet. So let's take a look at that forecast. What, here we are now, mid-March. Uh, what's your forecast for the next week or two? Well, the next couple of weeks uh, are going to be uh, weeks where if you get outside, you're going to have to make sure that you bundle up uh, to a certain extent because it is going to be on a colder note, uh, especially uh, from the Mississippi Valley eastward uh, in uh, in that part of things over the next couple weeks. Um, we've got a real pronounced trough west ridge east pattern that's going to keep things unsettled, and that means rainier, snowier in the northern areas to a certain extent. But then along with that, the temperatures are going to be on the chilly side. A big feature this week, Mike, is that uh, for sure uh, south of Interstate 80, it is going to be a wet week, uh, and particularly from St. Louis, Missouri, southward, uh, we could see rainfall totals 
approaching six inches and causing obviously uh, continued real wet soils, but then uh, heightening the uh, threat of a new round of flooding over the southern Midwest and the Delta southeastern plains. And uh, that is going to uh, just kind of add to the to the concern uh, that we already have existentially, right? And uh, mm-hmm. in terms of fundamentals in agriculture, it's uh, it's going to just keep uh, a real prospect for another uh, delayed uh, start to the spring fieldwork season well in place over that southern half of the Corn Belt. We're right in the heart of the country, right in the Midwest. Definitely so, and and um, there's going to be a, a light to moderate precip farther north to about, uh, I would say, Highway 20 in northern Iowa, eastward to Chicago, anywhere from about a half to maybe uh, one and a half inches, locally two plus. And we know that soils in, in that central part of the Midwest are, are very full already as well. So while it may not be flooding very much, uh, it still is uh, just a scenario where the ground is is all uh, soaked up, and it's going to take uh, just time in order to uh, get that ground into shape for for getting work for this uh, coming year's crop. Yeah, with all this social distancing that's now going on, uh, uh, you know, we're getting to the time where we hope uh, the social distancing is a farmer in a tractor cab. Uh, planting but uh, we don't know how long that may be off yet now sounds like uh, it doesn't it doesn't sound like it's shaping up for an early spring planting window at this point well not at all and and that's been a message that uh, i've been bringing to the different meetings that i've been at over the past three months i i am cautiously optimistic that uh, there's not going to be the uh, just chronic delay that we had last year uh, we're already kind of starting out on a little bit better footing because, you know, this weekend was the anniversary of the bomb cyclone that uh, broke all the flooding loose uh, here in the western part of the Midwest. And, and then, to me, just kind of was the first act in, you know, in that very wet year we had a year ago. But um, we're still dealing with the, with the very wet ground uh, that we had in 2019. And so that uh, is going to slow things down. I think that uh, that if if the majority of crops are 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 planted by the end of May, I think we will be doing well. And there still could be some planting into June, like we saw last year. I don't think that we're going to be in in a circumstance where we have to have this uh, mid-June type of planting like a year ago, because that was just uh, incredible to uh, deal with. So. Shaping up to be better than last year, but maybe not uh, still back to what we used to consider a normal planting window, but we will see. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, uh, uh, give us an update on what's going on in South America. The uh, situation is looking quite favorable in Brazil and Argentina this week, Mike. Uh, the, the Argentina crop areas that needed rainfall uh, started getting some rain mid to late last week. And um, they're going to continue getting uh, precip anywhere from about a half to two inches in, you know, Buenos Aires, Santa Fe, Cordoba uh, this week. And along with that, uh, southern Brazil, which has been quite dry, has started to get rain. So that would be Rio Grande do Sul and Paraná. Farther north, Mato Grosso has uh, rounds of showers, nothing real heavy. And at this point, you just have to think that that uh, safrina corn crop 
is uh, getting very good moisture and is going to be on pace to probably at least approach the volume that they had last year, and they had a terrific year. Uh, Brazil's uh, soybean crop, I think, is uh, close to 60% harvested, and uh, everything is just pretty well settling on around 124.5 million metric tons for their total soybean crop size. Not as big as had been thought, but it's still going to beat last year by about 5 million tons for a new record. So they are uh, really putting out uh, some awful big numbers this year. Mm-hmm. Bryce, I was just thinking, I, I saw a story today about the, the recovery efforts still going on in Nashville. Uh, we, we move on so quickly in the news cycles anymore, and especially with the coronavirus dominating the news, uh, we may have forgotten about uh, the folks there. They're dealing uh, with the aftermath of the tornadoes that moved through there. But it is a reminder that uh, we're in into getting into uh, that uh, severe weather uh, season. Uh, what's that shaping up? Do we have any early indications what that might be like? Well, uh, the the uh, prospect is is for a, a pretty active season, Mike, especially with the kinds of uh, periodic storms that we are getting uh, moving across the uh, southern uh, central parts of the country. And uh, with, with a pretty strong uh, cold and warm uh, boundary that we're going to see over the southeastern plains, southern Midwest, uh, mid-south uh, this week. Some of the storms that fire up could uh, have uh, severe thresholds that they that they meet, and uh, so that is uh, certainly going to be a a uh, a real potential, particularly if those uh, storms wrap up at night. Uh, after all, the temperature contrasts have really done their work during the daytime. So it's a nervous time from that standpoint, too. Yeah, have to be very careful and everyone be aware and alert. Uh, finally, are there any dry areas? Is is dry weather a concern in any uh, key production parts of the country? Well, it still is uh, in terms of the southwestern plains because uh, southwestern Kansas, southeastern Colorado, uh, that part of the country is uh, still in a severe drought and um, has been kind of in a rain shadow, so to speak, uh, with storms that develop. And then uh, in southern Texas, south Texas from uh, San Antonio south, uh, that part of the country is in extreme drought at this point. And that continues right along the immediate Gulf Coast. We may be hearing more about that uh, the farther we get into uh, the season, but right now, that, uh, that Gulf Coast area is missing out on uh, these uh, real heavy rains, uh, just with the, the way everything is uh, tracking and uh, getting more of an influence out of the Mexican desert with uh, drier conditions than anything else. So uh, those are some areas that are quite dry, and we're still uh, kind of watching to see how that far west is going to uh, fare in terms of getting uh, some precip, at least here at the very end of winter, to um, help to kind of alleviate a very dry winter that they've had. All right, Bryce, thanks for the update. I, I know that you, like many others today, are working from home. Yes, I am, Mike, and we'll see how long that lasts. But uh, that that was uh, something that developed over the weekend, and uh, and the best to everyone. Uh, all of us be well and uh, and truly uh, do, do look out for... Uh, ways to uh, take care of this uh, situation we're in that's right take care bryce thank you you're welcome mike 
DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about efforts to keep the beef supply chain open and moving. We'll talk about that next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. You know, you think more and more about how this coronavirus affects people in different ways. Uh, Over the weekend, I did eat at a restaurant, which I won't be able to do for a while again here in Illinois as uh, they're being closed. But we heard waitresses talking about, you know, how few tips they were getting, how little they were going to make that day. Of course, now they're not even going to be working in uh, some states. And you realize how it's impacting them. And you go to the the stores and you see some empty shelves. And you know that a lot of that's because someone bought, a lot of people bought way more than they needed. And there's hoarding going on. We need to keep in mind that we need to work together to get through this. You know, having a a six-month supply of something for yourself, that probably causes someone else not to have what they need right now. So we need to all keep that in mind. And obviously, we're going to try to protect ourselves and our families, but we also need to take care of each other as well and, and work together as we make our way through this. Well, making sure that that food continues to be available to people, uh, that's going to be an ongoing challenge when we look at what happens with the uh, worker availability and things like that. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, joins us now. Ethan, thanks for being with us. Uh, what steps are being taken uh, to make sure the, the beef supply chain remains open? Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, this has been something we've been focused on all weekend. Uh, I can tell you my team and uh, Colin and myself and others have, have been burning up the phone lines. Uh, and the focus has continued to be on making sure that supply chain uh, continues to operate. And, and you know, we're, we're doing this in an environment where obviously we're limited down again this morning in the market. We, we know that producers are, are feeling this pinch uh, in an environment where they were already uh, are really struggling, and and that is a, that's an incredibly challenging position to be in. Um, you know, our concern continues to be that as we watch varying degrees of reaction, or or perhaps in some cases overreaction, uh, in an effort to contain this this virus and flatten the curve. Uh, we, we don't want to get into a situation where folks are staying at home for weeks at a time and don't have uh, uh, available food sources. So uh, we've been talking to USDA, we've been talking to uh, all of the relevant government agencies and, and our own supply chain uh, from the cow-calf sector through feeders and, and packers uh, to make sure that uh, we're getting that regulatory clearance that we need uh, to keep food uh, moving through the system. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it, you pull on the thread on the sweater, and, and it raises more and more questions. You know, what if there's an interstate trucking ban? Uh, what if they start shutting down movements? What if we have uh, a positive test at a plant? 
And so in, in talking to, uh, to the various segments of the industry, uh, we're starting to compile those, those various plans, uh, what everyone's posture is going to be, uh, and then we're going to be communicating uh, that as clearly as possible to, uh, to the federal government uh, this week to make sure that they've got all the information they need uh, to, to make sure we can stay operational. You know, I mean, it, 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 there's a lot of different segments of the industry that are of the, of the economy that are affected here, but, but this is one where it puts it in stark relief just how important uh, what we do every day is to the American people. Yeah, you don't want to borrow trouble, but you have to be prepared for what could happen. We saw what happened when there was a fire at a plant and the disruption that caused. So, as you said, there's the possibility of uh, what if uh, workers at a plant, you know, test positive. What's going to happen then? What happens potentially with trucking? I mean, there's so many different aspects to the supply chain. There really are, and and this this uh, for those of us that work in it every day, uh, I can tell you my staff meeting here in D.C. this morning uh, was was thirty minutes of just of just oh what about this what about this and just and just bulleting out uh, all of those different avenues, and and so uh, that's going to continue to be our focus until we get to a point where we feel like that message has been received and we have assurances back uh, that that we're going to be able to continue getting food out to the American people, and and we think that's going to have a little bit of a relief effect once those signals are sent back uh, back to those markets uh, that, that you know we're gonna we're gonna be able to continue processing cattle uh, and we're going to be able to continue getting that box beef out the door we're going to be able to continue selling cattle um, and all of those vital functions are, are going to uh, move forward in the best interest of food security for the American people and and, and that should I'm not saying that's going to be the, the magic bullet to help the markets but it ought to at least provide a, a little bit of certainty that hey there, the sun will come up tomorrow and and there will be beef on people's plates um, and then we can start looking at some of those next level responses whether that be through through no interest loans uh, or, or other avenues to make sure that we're, we're helping uh, ease some of this humongous impact that we're seeing on, on producers at the moment. But there's no doubt there is also a demand impact here. Uh, as restaurants close and things like that, people are staying home. They may not buy as much meat at home as they would if they were all eating out. Uh, that's another aspect of this. You know, and and I don't know that we fully understand how that's going to play out. And you alluded to the to the uh, the, the run on supplies at grocery stores and some of the hoarding that we've that we've seen to date. You know, I guess the only bright spot we've seen is that the pictures we keep seeing from grocery stores include fully stocked uh, sections of fake meat and all the beef having been cleared out. Um, and it, it, I guess that if there's if there's one thing we can be we can be uh, uh, pleased about is that you know when producers or when when consumers go to the store and they're prepping for the worst they they go to those those sources of protein they know are reliable and I don't think we're going to see that dissipate. I mean I know I spent my morning yesterday driving out to a, a cattle producer about an hour outside of Washington to stock up my freezer with some some more of their beef uh, and and you know making those preparations for my own family uh, and and you know I, I think we're going to find a spot here pretty pretty soon where uh, we can start to provide some assurances that, that there's still going to be food in the grocery store and, and that when you show up, you don't need to buy for six months. You can buy, you can buy your groceries for the week um, and know that there'll be more next week. Um, and, and that's going to be on the retail sector to make sure they're providing those assurances to their customers that you, know, you, you don't need to, to haul off every roll of toilet paper in the grocery store. There, there will be more where that came right. from. Um, but there's a lot of back-end work that needs to be done to make sure that we can confidently say that. Yeah, we're all looking for those signs uh, that kind of indicate the worst is behind us and we're, we're, we're getting better and we're still looking for those signs at this point. Ethan, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks for the update. Thank you. Take care. Ethan Lane, Vice President, 
Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We'll continue to discuss and monitor how rural America and the rest of the country dealing with this coronavirus outbreak tomorrow right here. Hope you'll join us on AOA. Be safe, everyone.